We are kicking off a brand new series today called Take Courage. Turn to somebody and say, Take Courage. Take courage. Come on, 10.30. Y'all did better than 9 a.m. I'm, I'm proud of you this morning. So Take Courage. And this series is really designed to help you and I uh, begin to take courage in moments in our life where uh, maybe we don't feel like this is what we signed up for. At some point when you follow Jesus, you are going to come to a place where you end up in a spot that maybe you never intended to be at. There may come a time where God asks you to do something or calls you to something, and you may not feel qualified, you may not feel comfortable, but it's in those moments where you and I can take courage. And so as we look at that, we're going to look and examine the life of a guy by the name of Stephen today. And Stephen is an ordinary guy who God calls to do some incredible things. Before we dive too deep in, I don't know if you're anything like me, but there's times in my life where um, maybe it's late at night when right before I'm about to go to bed. You ever have like these like crazy life thoughts right before you're supposed to be going to sleep? So I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, or maybe it's on one of those long car rides. But have you ever had this fear in your life that maybe you'll get to the end of your life and it was all wasted or it meant nothing? I think sometimes we experience these kinds of fears and feelings because deep down we know that God has made and created us to make an incredible difference in the world. I think we realize that we have something within us that God wants to use in a powerful way, but oftentimes when it comes to being used by God, we think that God only uses a select handful of people, that God only uses the overly spiritual, or God only uses the pastor or the person who works on the church staff. And so we look at somebody who's teaching on a Sunday morning and we go, that's the person that God uses. And, and that's true, I hope, you know, <laughs> right? That, that's, that's important. But, but here's what I want you to know. The longer I've, I'm in ministry, the more I become convinced that what God really wants to do is to empower ordinary people for an extraordinary purpose. Yeah. What God wants to do is to place his spirit inside of ordinary people who are going to leave the doors of a church on Sunday morning and go out into the world to meet lost and broken people where they are so that other people can encounter Jesus. The reality is I don't think God is as concerned with building big churches with singular speakers as he is empowering his people to share his message around the world. And so the good news is today, if you feel ordinary, join the club. <laughs> but what I do know is that God uses ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things. And as we look at this guy by the name of Stephen, we really see an ordinary guy. If you look at the words of Jesus right before he leaves, he tells the disciples that the good news is to be spread through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And up until this point in the book of Acts, Acts chapters 1 through 7, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, has really stayed in Jerusalem. And so they're trying to figure out how to take this thing to the ends of the earth, but really they're not making much progress in going to the ends of the earth. They're having a great time in Jerusalem, though. Like thousands of people are getting saved every day. Numbers are being added to the church daily. There's people who are dying during offerings. I mean, it's you got to go read it. There's some crazy, awesome stuff that's taking place. But God has more in store for them. 
And then one day in Acts chapter 6, the apostles are having a conversation because they realize that they should be spending the majority of their time devoted to the reading of Scripture and in prayer, but they're, doing, they're basically running an Uber Eats service. Like sometimes in ministry, if you've been in ministry, you know that, that it still has to get done. And so sometimes you're the one that ends up doing it. And these apostles are going, hey, we've got to do something different. So they make the decision to raise up ordinary men and women. And Stephen comes into the picture. And Stephen's role in the beginning was just to deliver groceries to those who are in need. But what Stephen does is even though he has an ordinary role and an ordinary task, he does it with extraordinary excellence to glorify and honor God. And as he's living his life, as he's conducting it in such an excellent way, people are meeting Jesus and priests are turning to faith in Christ. Acts chapter 6 verse 10 says this about Stephen, that none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. I believe that Stephen is a picture for you and I of what ordinary men and women in the church ought to look like. Because God has called you and I to an extraordinary life, but he uses ordinary people to do it. Sometimes when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, what we feel like is that there's only a few people who are called to ministry. But hear me very clearly. When you said yes to surrender your life to Jesus, you signed up for missions. You signed up into ministry. This is God's call for you. So Stephen is serving. He's living this thing out with excellence. And then whenever you do that, inevitably some people are going to get mad at you at some point. But this is what it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says, Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, this is Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the same Saul who would have an encounter with Jesus and become Paul and would write the majority of the New Testament. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen ends up in a place that day, I think, that he never intended to be at. I don't think he woke up one day and was like, you know what? I think I'm going to get stoned today. Not recreationally, literally. You know? I think I would like for people to hurl rocks at my face till I die. I don't think that's what Stephen did. But when you sign up to follow Jesus, there's going to come some times in your life where you end up in a situation where you don't know what to do and you're going to end up in a place where you maybe never intended to be. But the good news is that when ordinary people commit their life to serving a God, he does extraordinary things. And I want to take you to Acts chapter 8 verse 1 because when we read scripture, we have chapters and verses, but the original text wasn't laid out that way. The original text just flows. And so it says this in chapter 8 verse 1 right after the story of Stephen. It says, and there arose on that day, what day? Well, the day that Stephen was stoned to death, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. 
except for the apostles. Luke wants to make sure you know that the apostles weren't involved in this because they had been doing a great job of getting the gospel in Jerusalem. People are getting saved and they're meeting Jesus. But Jesus told them that there was to be good news preached through Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and through the ends of the earth. And sometimes if you won't go, God will scatter you. So on that day, when an ordinary man partnered with God for an extraordinary purpose, we saw the gospel accomplish what God promised from the very beginning, which was that the good news would spread throughout the entire world. Oftentimes we credit Paul, but Scripture says on that day when Stephen died, the church was scattered. And when the church got scattered, ultimately being scattered means to be sent, and the good news spread throughout the entire region. The good news not only spread throughout Jerusalem and Judea or Judea and Samaria, it begins to spread throughout the entire world. See, in, in this time, when if you keep reading in the next chapter, Saul is going to have an encounter with Jesus. He becomes Paul, and Paul really wants to plant a church in Rome. But sometimes what you want and what God has planned are two totally different things. You ever been there? See, Paul wants to plant a church in Rome, but on his way there, he gets shipwrecked. He's going through all these hardships. He's got a snake that bites his hand. He almost dies. And when he gets to Rome to plant this church, Scripture tells us that he's met by three brothers who inform him that they already planted a church. You know how mad Paul must have been? He's like, I'm going to write you a letter. You know, like, that's... So Paul does this, and, and, but here's the point. God uses ordinary people. We don't know the names of the people who planted the church in Rome. But here's what we do know, that God wants to use you. If you're taking notes, write it this way. God wants to use me. And I want you to write it down that way specifically because for every single person in this room today, God wants to use you. You have to come to grips with that. You need to realize it because God wants to use ordinary people to accomplish something extraordinary. The reality is that God gave you, here's how he does it, he gave you a particular set of skills. He gave you some giftings, some talents, and some abilities. There's some things that God has gifted you with, and that's how he uses you to accomplish his extraordinary purpose, to help people meet Jesus. There's a lot of things you're really bad at, but there's a few things you're really good at. And the way the world works is the world teaches you and I that what we need to do is to spend our lives working on our weakness. And I'm not telling you that that you shouldn't get better at stuff, right? There's some things you're bad at and you're choosing to stay bad at. You should probably work on those. But why would God make you uniquely just for you to live in a different way? God made you uniquely so that you could use your gifts and your talents and your natural abilities to glorify and honor Him. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29 says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. The reason why God gave you giftings, the reason why God has blessed you with skills and talents and abilities is so that you can use those things and one day you'll be in a position of influence where you'll stand before leaders in the world and there they will have the opportunity to see God's goodness, his grace, and his mercy over your life. And as you do that, people will come to know God. That's what Matthew says, that people would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The whole reason why God has made you skillful in some things is so that you can stand before others and 
tell them about how good God is. Your gifts have a purpose, and God wants to use you in the world. So if you're taking notes, here's how I would challenge you to approach your life. Whatever you do, do it well for the glory of God and strategic for the mission of God. Let's hit two parts to that. Whatever you do, do it well for the glory of God. Stephen, the original Uber Eats, taking food to the people who were hurting, who were broken and who were needing it, was doing it with such great excellence that people were seeing something in him and realizing that it looks different than what the rest of the world has to offer. I think for a lot of us, we've grown too accustomed to just coasting in our workplace. And I get it. They compensate you for a specific set of things. But when's the last time God settled for the bare minimum for you? Whatever you do, do it well for the glory of God. Operate in excellence. Excellence can be defined in so many different ways. Here's how I like to say Excellence is just battling mediocrity. So like whatever the industry standard is, you go above it. Just battle it. Battle mediocrity. Battle for settling for just the bare minimum requirement. Be excellent in every area of your life because the work you do ultimately points to the God you serve. So in every area, be excellent. Like the way you interact with your coworkers, the way you maintain your, your office space, like every single thing you do can be done to the glory of God. So whatever you do, do it well for the glory of God. And then do it strategic for the mission of God. So if you're going to work, it might as well have a kingdom purpose. So rather than you seeing your work as a place where you collect a paycheck, what if you saw it as a mission field for you to help people see Jesus? Do it strategic for the mission of God. For some of you, you have no clue where God has called you. You just know what God has gifted you with. And I would encourage you or challenge you to be strategic with where you say yes to. Don't just take the first job that comes your way. Ask God if he's placed you there to help people meet him. Be strategic. There's college students. Where one of the popular things for, for college students is to take a gap year, whether it's before you start college or, or after I would encourage you, if you don't know what, if God hasn't audibly spoken to you for what you want to do, like with your life, here's what I would challenge you to say. Spend a year or two investing your time and energy into a local church. Spend your time and energy helping people meet Jesus because you don't need to go out into the world to figure out what God has for you. You need to learn how to help people meet Jesus. And once you do that, you'll actually find purpose and fulfillment. And when you start helping people meet Jesus, here's what you'll realize. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. I don't live for this platform. I'm going to be honest. If I didn't do this, I'd be running a business somewhere. I'd be helping people with marketing or graphics or doing business coaching. I may be fly fishing somewhere, right? <laughs> Amen, right? Come on, trout in Jesus' name. I don't know what I'd be doing, but hey, I can help people meet Jesus wherever I'm at. And so you and I have to think this way when it comes to our own lives. Whatever we do, we do it well for the glory of God and strategic for the mission of God. Here's the second thing I've got for you is the Holy Spirit is all you need to do what God has called you to do. The Holy Spirit is all you need. What I love about Stephen 
is when we look at Stephen's life, we see a man who is marked with incredible confidence. But it's not confidence in his own abilities. It's confident in the fact that the Spirit of God is at work within his life. The difference between confidence and arrogance is who you put your hope in. Arrogance occurs when you and I put our hope and trust in our own abilities. But confidence is something that is godly. It's a good characteristic because I'm not confident in what I bring to the table. I'm confident in the one who called me. So when we look at our world, we have these over uh, glorifications of those who are qualified. But when we read in Scripture, if Here's the good news. If you don't feel cut out for what God has called you to, chances are you're actually in alignment with his plan and purpose for your life. Because God didn't ask you, I tell you what, I'll give you a challenge. Look somewhere in scripture where God calls somebody to do something and checks their resume before he asks them. That's not how God works. In fact, a lot of times God's not even going, hey, you know what, I see those particular set of skills I gave you and here's what I'd like you to do. If you and I don't need God for the call that he's placed on our life, it's not a call from God. Because God doesn't remove himself from our dependency of him. In fact, he calls us into deeper dependency to trust him with stuff. I have the opportunity to teach 35, 40 times a year here. And I'll be honest, there's never been a Sunday where I was qualified to do what I do. I graduated high school with a .4 GPA. Not a 4.0. I didn't forget digits. 0.4. In fact, I was 209 out of 213 people in my class. I made it three semesters in seminary and I flunked out. The only thing that you need to be qualified to do what God has called you to do is the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not, that's not an invitation for ignorance. right? I read 50 to 70 books a year spend a lot of time doing research like but all you need to do to be qualified is to have the spirit of God in your life in fact it's so important that Jesus looks at the disciples in John chapter 16 verse 17 and says nevertheless I tell you the truth it's to your advantage that I go away could you imagine being like like grilling buddies with Jesus, like to have Jesus directly beside you in person. And Jesus is like, the most beneficial thing for me to do is to leave. You're like, that doesn't sound right. I don't think that Jesus is it. But, but here's the thing. If I don't go away, the helper won't come. The, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go, I'll send him to you. I think the local church has become so fascinated with Jesus beside us that we miss out on the spirit within us. And they both go hand in hand. I'm not saying that the spirit inside of you is greater than Jesus beside you. What I'm saying is you need both. You need to acknowledge the Holy Spirit's power in your life. The other week I was cleaning out some jackets. And um, I have a lot of jackets. Uh, mostly denim. Because I think if you really want to make it into heaven, you need a denim jacket. And so... Um, <laughs> So I'm going through my denim jackets, and uh, in one of my jackets, I found $100, which I, I was like, come on, praise God, you know? <laughs> but here's the thing. In my closet, I had $100 there the whole time. It wasn't until I knew of that $100 that I was able to utilize it. When you experience salvation, you receive 100% of the Holy Spirit. 
but it's the knowledge of the Spirit's power that actually gives you access to that power. So what we need to do is be aware to know of the Spirit's power in our life, which reminds me that it's not about my ability, but my availability when it comes to God. It's not about your giftings. It's not about how great you are. It's all about you being open and willing in every area of your life to be used by God. So in your gifts, you're open. It's not about your ability, but it's about your availability. Are you willing to say yes to God when he prompts you? That's what the entire book of Acts is. People who were just crazy enough to say yes to God when he prompted them. When you're available, it means that you don't hold your resources and your finances with closed fists. You say, God, it's all about my availability, which means if you've entrusted it to me, I'm willing to be open with it and to give back to you what is at the end of the day rightfully yours. What has God entrusted you with and will you be willing to say yes to it? Here's the third thing. When we don't know what to do, we do what Jesus did. When we don't know what to do, we do what Jesus did. So Stephen uh, finds himself where he's, he's going to die for his faith. He's getting stoned. Again, I don't think this was one of those things where he thought, this is how I'm going to go out. I don't think this was one of those things that he really planned for. And at some point in your life, when you sign up to be used by God, when you sign up to serve Jesus with your life, there are going to come times where you go, I'm going to be honest, I didn't really sign up for this. Maybe things get difficult in the arena of spiritual warfare or, or, or you just find yourself with a diagnosis that you didn't anticipate. You lose a loved one. You feel like you didn't sign up for this. When we don't know what to do, we just do what Jesus did. Because sometimes what we do in those moments when we don't know what to do is we call an audible. And the worst time to call an audible is when you're all up in your feelings. When, you're, when, you, when, when you're, you're not thinking rationally at all, you're just making decisions as fast as you possibly can. No, 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 slow down and just do what Jesus did. I, for, for me, I just, I just, I say it like this, I just run the play. Like I don't wait, I don't wait for moments to figure out how I'm going to respond to them. I predetermine how I'm going to respond to them. And when they happen and I got all these feelings, I just run the play that I've already decided. Yeah. So look at what Stephen does in Acts chapter uh, 7, verse 59. It says, and as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. What Stephen does in this moment is the exact same language that Jesus used when he was dying on the cross. Yeah. See, when Jesus is dying on the cross, Jesus says, Lord, I, he says, Father, I commit my spirit to you. Stephen said, receive my spirit. And then Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What Stephen is doing is he's just doing exactly what Jesus did because he doesn't really know what to do in this moment. But here's what he does know. When he signed up to follow Jesus, he signed up to live his life in sacrifice of others. And if that meant that Jesus had to die so that other people could meet him, it also means that Stephen might have to die so that other people can meet Jesus. That's what following Jesus is like. In our world, in the American church, we live almost as if Christianity is all about this convenience and if it feels good, do it. You know, to 
sign up to follow Jesus is to sign up to die for the sake of other people also making it into heaven. You say, that's weighty. Yeah, it is. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'd hate for you to buy into a false gospel. I love what Martin Luther says. He says, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if nobody knew about it. Another author says that the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Here's the reality. If you and I were to think for just a moment about what our lives would be like if Jesus hadn't died for us, we would be lost, we would be hopeless, we would be broken. That's exactly where millions of people are around the entire world. So what does God do? God invites us into this opportunity to partner with him to help people hear about the goodness and the grace of our Lord and Savior. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. But how can they call on him, on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Paul wants to break it down for us because a lot of us just focus and say, people need to meet Jesus and they need to get saved, right? Some of us said that more when the gas shortage started happening, right? You showed, you showed up at the gas station and you're like, these people, they need Jesus. Paul says, that's great. But if we just talk about how people meet, need to meet Jesus, I don't think that does it. In fact, here, here's, here's what I'll tell you. Even when I say something that it's as staggering as to say that there are millions of people around the world who don't know Jesus, that's not enough. Because if somebody is just a number, then they'll never motivate you to action. Think about the people in your life that don't know Jesus. Paul says, okay, fine, they don't know Jesus, but here's the thing. Faith comes by hearing. So how are they going to believe if they don't hear about Jesus. And how are they going to hear if nobody tells them? You're like, well, that's a great point. It's like, yeah, so tell them. <laughs> I'm telling you that because if you and I don't begin to tell people about Jesus, there's a chance that they may never hear about Jesus. And if they never hear about Jesus, they may never know him. And if they don't know about him or if they haven't heard about him, then they can't place their trust in him to be saved. Paul is trying to show us that we are God's plan for the rest of the world. That God wants to use ordinary people to accomplish an extraordinary purpose. So get used to sharing Jesus with people. And it doesn't have to be weird, and it doesn't have to be overly complicated. It doesn't have to be that, you know, the Mormon strategy where you're knocking on doors. Some people still do that. You, can't, you can ring my doorbell all you want, boss. If I don't know you, I ain't coming. <laughs> I'm saying, it's just not my style. Here's what, get used to telling people about Jesus. It could be as simple as you just saying, hey, this is what God's done in my life. I don't argue theology with people. I ain't, I ain't got time for that. Here's what I know. You can't argue with, you can argue theology, but you can't argue with my story. Here's my story. I was stuck in a drug addiction. I met Jesus. He changed it. Good luck arguing with that. Yeah. You can't. So get used to just sharing what God's done in your life. And here's the last thing. I think it's what all of us at some point are going to have to reconcile. And uh, it's this, that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Acts chapter 7, verse 56 says this. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man is standing 
at the right hand of God. This is Stephen right before he's getting ready to die. He says, he's, he's having this vision. He says, moments before his death, here's what I see. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, Son of Man is Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. Now this is really interesting because theologically when we see Jesus positioned at the right hand of God, he's never standing, he's always sitting, which is theologically important because he's seated to signify that the work is finished, that, that work of salvation is complete. When Jesus died, the work is over. The only thing we have to do is now believe. But why in Stephen's vision is Jesus standing? And then I started thinking about it. If you've ever had a family gathering, you know that sometimes people are sitting down in the living room and everybody's hanging out. And then you arrive and you walk through the front door and the first thing they do is Everybody's sitting, and they stand up to greet you. I think the reason why Jesus is standing is because when the whole world turned against Stephen, Jesus was standing to say, hey, I'm ready to receive you. And while Stephen never signed up to, or didn't know that he signed up to get stoned, and to get beaten, to get persecuted. What he did sign up for was at the end of his race to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so while he never knew that this was what he was going to go through, he did know that the end result was that Jesus would be standing there waiting for him to say, well done. Because at the end of our life, we're going to hear one or two things. We're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant or turn from me, I never knew you. And so if Stephen has this vision, I think what it really points us to is Stephen was like, man, I don't, I don't know that I always felt like it was worth it. I don't know that I really knew that this was what I signed up for. But here's what I do know, that Jesus is worth it. And there's gonna be times as you and I dedicate our lives to helping people meet Jesus that we really have to wrestle with that. Is Jesus worth it? When Jesus asks you to give up your job and to start that new business and, and, and you really love the safety and security of where you're at, you have to wrestle with and ask yourself the question, is Jesus worth it? When you've got all of these plans and dreams and things that you've created in your head, this is perfect. And God is like, nah, we ain't doing that. You have to wrestle with, is Jesus worth it? When God challenges you to give more than you think you can, is he worth it? And that's not a question that I have the opportunity to answer for you. It's a question that every single one of us get to answer on a day-by-day -day basis as we live the rest of our lives in service to the one who died and sacrificed everything for us. But here's what I've decided for my own life. That the entire world could turn against me. But at the end of the day, Jesus is worth it. And so for your life and mine, I would challenge us in that same thing. In the book of Revelation, at the very end of it, Scripture talks about the fact that there are two judgments for believers. The first judgment is the judgment of salvation, which is where you and I 
are asked a question, it's less of a question, it's, it's, it's more of a, a statement. And in that statement, the question that's answered there is, did I accept Jesus as the full payment of my sin? And the answer is either yes or no. And so before we talk about what that second one looks like or we go any further, here's what I know. There's some people in the room today, maybe you're watching online, and you're the one that's calling the shots in your life. What Stephen's life is marked by is a, is a person who is fully open to going wherever God would send him and do whatever God instructed him to do. But God was his Savior. And so if you're the one who's calling all the shots, you're still your Lord. And when you stand before God one day, it will not be enough to save you from sin. And so for just a moment, I want to create the space or give you the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I realize I'm, I've been living my, my life in service to me. But today I want to make that decision to surrender it all to God, to begin a relationship with Him. With every head bowed, every eye closed across the room, maybe you're watching online today. Hey, if you want to indicate that you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, but you want to change that and be different from this point forward, would you just indicate that by lifting your hand real quick and saying, hey, pastor, that's me. I see this. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We all pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, Today, I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, will you stand to your feet and help me celebrate this morning with those who made decisions? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I told you there were... Uh, two kinds of judgments. The first one is the salvation. The second one is what we did with what God entrusted us with. That's where we give an account for how we spent our lives after we made that decision. The good news is when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our past is covered. God, God's not, you're not giving an account for all the things you did wrong in the past. But now you're held accountable for what you've done from that point forward. Because you knew that Jesus saved you. You knew that he gave his life for you. You knew that, that he did all of these things. And, and what it really means to follow Jesus is to then live your life to help other people experience the same grace and goodness that God has imparted to you. And that second judgment is where God asks you like, hey, did you live your life in service? Did you, did you help build my church? Did you help people meet Jesus? And at the end of that, what I think all of us want to hear is, well done. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. and I'm not going to make you bow your head or close your eyes because I think you need to get a little bold today. I don't know what your life has looked like from the past forward, but I think this message for some of us is a turning point. It's one where we realize that for the rest of our lives, if we've said yes to Jesus, what it really looks like to follow him is to live in service to help more people meet him. And so regardless, I'm about, I'm about to throw my hands in the air too. If you'd say, hey, 
from this point forward, I want to live my life in service to help people meet Jesus. Would you just lift your hand in the air and say, hey, that's me. All across. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over you for boldness, for strength and courage, and then we're going to continue to worship. Father, I come to you right now, and I thank you that you don't need people who are incredibly gifted. You need people who are open and available. So, Lord, right now, we open up our lives to be filled with your spirit that we might be changed from the inside out. I pray for every person in this room who has doubted their ability to be used by you, God. Today, they know that you are in them, you are with them, and will do mighty works through them. Lord, we pray for boldness, strength, and courage as we walk into every opportunity that you open for us to help more people meet you. And may at the end of our race, we realize that you are more than worth it. We love you, and we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.